0: CHAPTER THREE. THE Chameleon. My mother decided I was not going to a Bronx public school. She wasn't a snob, she was scared. The schools she'd grown up around were still there, but there were were not the same places anymore. The buildings were a heap of crumbling walls and chipped paint. Even if you're among the lucky 50% who made it out in four years, there was no guarantee you'd be prepared for college or a job. Things were falling apart inside as they were out in the streets. The halls of school were no safe harbor from the chaos outside. No matter how much the neighborhood around us seemed ready to rot, my mother was determined to see us through. Since we'd arrived in New York, she had been juggling jobs to help provide for us three kids and her parents, doing anything from freelance writing for magazines and televisions to acting as a furrier's assistant. She would wake us up in the morning for school. And before we had finished getting dressed, she was off to work. At night, my grandparents prepared dinner for the family and got us to bed. Mom would come in from her last job late and walk straight to our rooms, pull the covers tight around us, and give us our goodnight kiss, our kiss goodnight. The smell of her perfume would wake me up, would wake me as soon as she walked in, and then comfort me back to sleep. The school mom wanted us to attend was Riverdale Country School. Riverdale was as big as a college campus. It had manicured lawns and buildings covered with ivy. To me, it looked like a Hollywood set. My mother saw it as a place to escape our neighborhood and broaden our horizons. The third grade at Riverdale Country School was divided into two sections of 18 kids. I was the only black boy in Section 1. There was another black boy in Section 2. We found each other fast. His name was Justin, and we bonded the first time we met. We had the same haircut—a towering box cut, like one of our favorite rappers, Big Daddy Kane. Daddy Kane's high top was as chiseled as a statue. It was a gold—it sta- was the gold standard. Justin lived in the Soundview Projects, just minutes away from our house in the Bronx. My mother looked after Justin as if he were one of her own. His mom, Carol, did the same for me. Our moms were close. Carol was also a single mother, working multiple jobs to send her kids to private school. She didn't speak to Justin's dad, Eddie, anymore, but Justin did. I really looked up to Eddie. I loved going with Justin to visit him in Harlem. Eddie had been a Black Panther in the 1970s. Now he worked as a bus driver and a poet. I thought he treated Justin and me like grown-ups. I always listened carefully when Eddie spoke. We are black males, and as black males, there are certain things we have to deal with that others don't, he told us once, just like every kind of person has problems that only they have to cope with. As black men, we have to carry that weight and stay strong and proud. Two years after we started at Riverdale, Justin and I entered the fifth grade. Standing almost five feet six, he loomed over me, and his skinny frame made him appear even taller. His voice was deep. Puberty hit him before the rest of the class. His physical maturity came with emotional maturity. He had a calm way of seeing through anyone's phony act. One day, we spent the afternoon in Manhattan, prowling sneaker stores for new Nikes we couldn't afford. On the number two train home, we were crushed in a crowd of executives, construction workers, accountants, and maids. Hands of all colors clung to the metal pole in the middle of the subway car. Justin broke down his strategy for securing a seat. Just stand next to the white people. They'll get off by 110th Street. I swear you'll see. Give it six more stops. I grinned at him, then nodded in awe as his prediction came true. All the seats, all the suits emptied the train by the time we hit 110th Street, the last wealthy stop in Manhattan. Seats on both sides cleared as though the Red Sea had parted, and we plopped down, relieving ourselves of the weight of our backpacks. The train's last yuppie scurried through the closing doors. A subway car full of Blacks and Latinos would continue the ride up to Harlem and the Bronx. Justin and I got off the graffitied train at Gun Hill Road. Everything about the Bronx was more intense than downtown Manhattan, even the name of the street we walked down, Gun Hill Road held the threat of bloodsport. Once we hit the Bronx bricks, different food smells wafted through the air. Beef patties and curry goat from the Jamaican spot, deep fried dumplings and chicken wings from the Chinese takeout joint, coo- coochie Fritos from the Puerto Rican lunch counter, up and down the street were people hustling everything from mixtapes to t-shirts to, to incense. The air rang with English and Spanish in every imaginable set accent. By now, all of this was home to me. We were headed to Ozzy's to see our crew. Ozzy had been my boy since the first basketball game. He was tall and dark-skinned with a close chopped a cropped Caesar and a soft Caribbean accent. Everyone was already there, sprawled out on the white stone steps of his house. My boy Paris gave me a dap. He was a tough, good-looking guy with a brilliant smile, which he rarely shared. You fine, Nikes? Paris asked. Nah, too expensive, I said. Yeah, but you got to keep it fresh in Riverdale, don't you? How y'all like it up there in that white school? Paris leaned back as he spoke. His question was a challenge. It's cool. It's whatever, I quietly replied, uh, replied looking down at the ground. It was a sore spot. In the hood, your school affiliation was all-important. You got some of your rep from your school, and the name Riverdale wasn't impressing anyone. Most of my friends attended public school in the area. A few went to Catholic school. Justin and I were the only two who actually took an hour-and-a-half trip across town to attend a pricey school where we were among the very few splotches of color. It made the crew suspicious of us. I quickly changed the subject, What's up with the Knicks this year? Nah, for real. What's up with Riverdale? Paris asked. His voice rose in the last word as he made his best attempt at a proper British accent. He wasn't going to drop this. I had to admit that the name had a 1950s white picket fence ring to it. It was embarrassing. I stay casual. Yeah, I told you. It's cool, man. Nobody messes with me over there. I've got the place on lock. "'From the corner of my eye, I caught Justin shaking his head "'with amazement at the nonsense dribbling out of my mouth. "'I could feel the burn of his skeptical stare "'on the side of my face, but I pushed on. "'Let me tell you how I run things up there,' I said, "'and I launched into the story "'of my recent suspension from the school. "'A few weeks earlier, I had been suspended for fighting.' I was playfully wrestling with a kid from my grade and went in for a killer move. I grabbed his right arm with mine and hoisted him over my shoulder, then dropped him hard on the ground. The fall was awkward, and he landed on his head, opening a small but surprisingly bloody cut. After the boy was rushed to the school nurse and eventually to the hospital to get a few stitches, I was suspended. That was the truth. For Paris and the gang, I decided to juice the story up a little. So the other day, this joker, I began, he was disrespecting me, so I get up in his face. I get close to him to say, you gonna keep talking? And he says, nothing. So I pick him up over my head and slam him to the ground. I'm standing over his body. He's bleeding at this point, and I'm taunting him like Muhammad Ali over Sonny Liston. I'm like, I dare you to get back up. Everyone looked at Justin as a witness. Justin was grimacing. He knew my attempt to sound legendary was, in fact, just a legend. And he let the rest of them know it, too. The more I blushed, the more they cracked up, and vice versa. I was saved from my mocking when a man stumbled toward us. His hair looked as if it hadn't seen a comb in weeks. His sneakers were cracked with dirt, and only one of them had a lace. Can you young brothers spare some change? I need to make a phone call, he stuttered. An odor like that of rotten fruit surrounded him. Ozzy responded first, his Jamaican accent a little thicker than usual. Get out of here, man. Nobody has any change for you. The man slowly shuffled away, looking back over his shoulder every few steps as if he were expecting one of us to overrule Ozzy's rejection. Ozzy shook his head in disbelief and said, if the dude wanted to buy some rock, he should have just said it. Who was going to call if we gave him some change? We all laughed as the man staggered back up the block to look for sympathy elsewhere drugs were not new to the bronx marijuana cocaine and heroin had been around for ages but crack was different it was easy to get and insanely strong and addictive after it hit the scene in the early 1980s it didn't take long for crack to put a stranglehold on many communities the bronx was one of them i was an eyewitness my friends and i my friends and i traded stories we'd overheard or things we'd seen A father left his family and robbed his parents for money to buy rock. A pregnant mother sold her body to get another hit. Someone's grandmother blew her monthly social security check on the drug. Crack was also different in the way it got passed around. There was so much money to be made that drug gangs started hiring more and more people to work for them. Some of my best friends got sucked into the game. The surge in drugs was matched by the surge in guns guns not only became more accessible, they became more sophisticated. What my grandparents call foolishness spread from the gangs to the rest of the neighborhood. Turf wars got deadly fast. There was fear on all sides. And just as bad, everyone was on the, def- on the defensive. From the early 1980s to the end of the decade, there was an almost 61% jump in the murder rate in New York City. When I look back now, it's almost surreal. In 2008, there were 417 homicides in the city. In 1990, there was 2,605. Those murders were concentrated on a handful of neighborhoods, and the victims were mostly from a single demographic group, young black men. You would have been safer living in a war zone than in some of those neighborhoods, We laughed at the panhandler outside Ozzy's house that day, but there were thousands of people like him throughout the city. The sun was beginning to set, so Justin and I knew we didn't have much time to get home. We didn't need to check our watches. We were starting to feel the fear that crept around the edges at dusk. Stay cool, tough guy. Paris cooed at me as Justin and I walked off. I shook my head to show I didn't take him seriously. Taking the subway home after dark was a different journey from the one we'd made in the afternoon. There were rules to follow. Never look people in the eye. Don't smile, it makes you look weak. If someone yells for you, just keep walking. Always keep your money in your front pocket, never in your back pocket. Know where the dealers and the smokers are at all times. Know where the cops are at all times. Justin and I kept a strut in our step, tried to keep it cool. But as we made our way to the train, we were practically speed walking. "'Did you study yet for the English test on Wednesday?' Justin asked. "'Nope,' I said. "'You know they're going to put you on probation "'if you don't start doing better, man.' "'I knew, but I didn't like getting a lecture from him "'in addition to the ones I got at home. "'The problem isn't what I study or don't study,' I began. "'The problem is that they don't understand my whole situation. "'I mean, I've got a long trip to and from school every day, "'not to mention that my father is dead, "'my mother is overworked.' "'I trailed off, and then I felt Justin's withering glare.' Justin had it as hard as I did. Worse in some ways, but he still got the best grades in class. For a moment, we didn't speak. I wanted to break the awkwardness. Know what? I said. My mother's starting to threaten me with military school if I don't get my grades together. He laughed. For real? I nodded. It was true. She even got her hands on a brochure as if she's actually looking into it. But I knew there was no way my mother would allow her son, her only son, to be shipped off off to military school. Regardless of the grades, regardless of the suspensions, it was too far, too permanent. Maybe she'd shifted, She'd shift me to a school closer to home. Maybe a public or Catholic school, but not a military school. And she needed a man in the house to look after Shawnee and Nikki. Not to mention her, right? In Caribbean households, boys were treated like princes. She was bluffing. And what was military school anyway? A bunch of country folks waving flags and chewing tobacco, screaming at kids to crawl through mud. And why? To prepare them to get killed in a war? My mother wouldn't even let me have toy guns in the house. It was absurd. We'll see what happens, Justin said with a smirk. Yeah, we'll see, I confidently replied. I started to think about Paris. What I couldn't express to him and the other guys was that I felt weird about Riverdale, too. I got a crazy current of emotions whenever I stepped onto campus. Every time I looked around at the buildings and the trees and the view of the river... I was reminded of the sacrifices my mother was making to keep me there. And every time I looked at my fellow students, I was reminded of how little I fit in. I was trying to control the conflicting emotions of thankfulness and resentfulness and appreciation and self-consciousness. I remember that on the bus to school one day, Justin and I were talking about starting junior high high soon. There we would have the option of taking French, Spanish or Latin, who needs another language. We're already bilingual, Justin had laughed. It was basically true. We spoke a whole other language at Riverdale than we did at home. It was like being double agents or superheroes. We had another identity off that campus. It was stressful. I felt like a chameleon. Justin did too. If we wanted to fit in with our crew, we had to act a certain way. If we wanted to fit in with the kids at school, we had to act another way. And we wanted to fit in with both very different groups but we wanted to do it on our own terms by saying, by being ourselves. I was having a difficult time understanding what that meant. And I also felt the burden of representing something bigger than myself. There was this increasing need to wear the mask wherever I went. And the mask seemed to change based on the audience. It wasn't just that Justin and I were a different race from our Riverdale classmates, though. It was also about money. The Riverdale kids had it. I hid the fact that my family was was. Drastically poor, poorer than everyone else's. Every week, I created a schedule for my clothes. I had three good shirts and three good pairs of pants. I would rotate the order in which I wore them, mixing and matching so that each day I had on a fresh combination. Later, I even borrowed Nikki's clothes to show some further variation, thinking that nobody would notice the zippers at the bottom of the jeans or the way the hips hugged a little tight. I would just nonchalantly say that I was trying to bring the 70s back. This claim was usually met with polite smiles when I was in the room, but I can only imagine the hysterical laughter when I wasn't around. When the kids would talk about the new video game systems that was out or how their family was going to Greece or Spain or France during summer vacation, I would sit silent, hoping they wouldn't ask me where my family planned on summering. At times, I would try to join in talking about the vacation home my family had in Brooklyn. The vacation home I was speaking about was a church where my grandfather led a congregation, but Flatbush Avenue wasn't exactly the French Riviera. Whenever I hung out with my school friends, we went to their homes, not mine. I was ashamed of being embarrassed about my own home, but I didn't want to have to explain our differences to them. One day I broke my own rule. It was my uncle howard's idea he was my mom's brother and he always kept an eye on me i think he sensed my frustration with living in separate worlds and thought sports could unite my neighborhood friends and my wealthier classmate because of uncle howard i invited 10 friends from school to come and play baseball against us in the neighborhood in the first inning my neighborhood friend deshawn who was playing first base started trash talking randy Randy was a lanky Riverdale kid with a mop of sandy brown hair. He took Deshaun's teasing pretty well, but I could see after a while it was starting to wear on him. Laughing, Randy playfully tipped the bill of Deshaun's cap, knocking it off his head. Deshaun's death stare silenced Randy's laugh. It was as if he were a king and someone had thrown his crown into the dirt. Before we were even 15 minutes into the game, They were rolling around the grass. Three fights and four innings later, it was clear my experiment wasn't working out. The game was called. All the players retreated to their separate corners, to their separate worlds, all except me, still caught in the middle.